You're listening to Never Sleeps Network. Hey, it's Bilal Bakani at BilalB87 on Twitter. What the hell in the cell? That's the only way I can describe uh, this short but frustrating pay-per-view. And I'll go right into the main event. Seth Rollins defending his Universal Championship against Bray Wyatt, the Fiend. And after all of that, and and this was built up well. We had the uh, backstage interview with Seth earlier in the night. Setting up the feud pretty well. One of Seth's better promos. And the match itself was excellent. We had the red lighting throughout, which was a nice effect. And I'm quite impressed they maintained it. And the match itself had a good narrative. The narrative was essentially no matter what Seth Rollins did, The Fiend was kicking out at one, whether it was uh, him spamming the curve stomps, much like out of Years of War, or it was him uh, just smashing it down with uh, tables, ladders. At one point, he had Wyatt uh, just crushed uh, his head into the uh, ladder and a chair and was smashing him with a toolbox so hard it opened up and tools went everywhere. And what ended up happening was Rollins clearly lost his interest in pinning Wyatt, so the referee stopped the match, and as they started to get the medical team in there to stretcher Wyatt out, he got up and attacked Seth. And, you know, this is not the way you want a WWE Raw Universal Championship match to end, let alone your main event, and especially since the medical team came out to help Wyatt, but it was Wyatt who ended up attacking Rollins. So you have a match that's thrown out, you have uh, the, this very protected Bray Wyatt who's only had two matches in several months and just annihilated your Universal Champion, does not walk out with the title. I think we know this is probably to move him to SmackDown on Fox, and I'm sure the executives at Fox really want Wyatt. And this is a way to keep him looking strong and not give him the title. But it's a really crappy way to end a pay-per-view. And again, a short one. It's only, you know, 25 past 10 here, and I'm pretty much live from when they finished. But... It's really not a good way to end this show, and especially given the other Hell in a Cell match we had, which was Sasha Banks taking on Raw Women's Champion Becky Lynch. And in that match, the match was just as good. And very distinctive matches, what we had with Becky and Sasha just using the elements in different ways, whether it was Becky taking two kendo sticks and using them in the corner of the cell to line up with a chair and nicely seat... Sasha Banks before she drop kicked her in the face, you know, and I, there's not enough time for me to say all the great spots. Like you have to watch this match if you like wrestling. There was just so many creative spots with the cell, and a very distinctive from what we saw. This should have actually been the main event because it had a real conclusion. We've seen Wyatt finish Raw so many times, and and I really thought Sasha would win right down to the finish where Becky Lynch put on the disarmor, and Sasha was pulling at her hair and then reaching for the chair. And I literally expected Sasha to get both her hands on the chair, reverse smash Becky, turn it into a backstabber, into her submission, the bank statement, and win it. It didn't happen. And what we're left with is two very good Hell in the Cell matches. No championships changing hands in either of them. And especially, again, with the return of Sasha, with the return of Wyatt, two superstars who weren't even in the conversational in WrestleMania, came back around SummerSlam, in Wyatt's case, at SummerSlam, in Sasha's night case, the night after SummerSlam. And I'm just left disappointed with both matches. The one highlight that sort of made up for this a little bit was Charlotte Flair defeating Bayley for the SmackDown Women's Championship. This will make her the 10-time champion, which is, I believe, the most for any woman. And the narrative here of both Bayley and Flair going after the leg, 
it worked really well for Charlotte. I'm, I'm not sure what Bailey was going to do with this, but it, it did work in that Charlotte was reflecting the attacks that Bailey had put on her before, and both women were being very cerebral in how they were going at each other. And for a match that was essentially added because Charlotte pinned Bailey on Friday Night SmackDown and it was announced to the internet, this was one of the best matches on the card and had good build. And it was quite good, and at least a championship changed hands. There was one more, but we'll get to that later. We also had Daniel Bryan and Roman Reigns teaming up quite successfully against Eric Rowan and Luke Harper. And look, it's, it's wrestling. If this was real, Harper and Rowan, uh, King said they'd been teamed for many, many moons. They've been together for years. This makeshift team of Daniel Bryan and Roman Reigns, they're two great wrestlers, but they have no chemistry. Uh, it was nice to see Daniel Bryan kind of you know, the hug it out chant. I even found myself chanting that when it happened and it was a nice moment. And, and clearly these are the two guys who WWE wants to move forward with and will probably stay on the same brand. It'll probably do more with this partnership. Maybe even give them a tag title run. Not that Brian hasn't done that with Kane and Roman hasn't done it with the shield, but these two are very compelling together, but it, it makes me worry for Harper and Rowan because these guys are awesome and they're being totally passed over and they probably won't get another tag title shot. And that's a shame. Now, those were the four matches we knew about. Everything else that took place on this card was not announced. And I mean not announced this afternoon when I was looking at the card. Not even this afternoon. Within about three to four hours before this card happened, I was on WWE.com, and those were the only four matches we knew about. So we knew things were going to be slapped together. But what I hoped is that we would build on current you know, narratives, whether it was Brock Lesnar and Kofi Kingston or Tyson Fury and Braun Strowman, you know, I could go on and on. What we got instead was somebody had a script from three weeks ago and decided just to do those matches again. And we got a lot of them. First off, Randy Orton versus Ali, which, yes, dates back to the Elimination Chamber where Mustafa Ali had his orbital bone injured and didn't get his WWE title match, and that continued a bit around WrestleMania. But I'm describing things that happened in April and May. And uh, last I checked, it's October. And there's been no follow-up with this rivalry. I get that Randy Orton is part of Team Flair. And I would assume, assume that now Ali will be part of Team Hogan. If he's not, and this whole thing was completely pointless, it was a half advertisement for what to expect in Saudi Arabia when they go to Crown Jewel. But why not have this with Rusev, who's on the team, and already has a beef with Orton. I, I, it's very weird. We also had, and by the way, uh, Orton won the match with RKO out of nowhere. No, no surprise there. We also had Baron Corbin taking on Chad Gable, a rematch of the King of the Ring. Now, in fairness, this was only a month old. But on Friday, we had Baron Corbin being talked down by The Rock. I don't remember what he did on Monday Night Raw, but I don't, oh yeah, he was part of that Team Orton. So now you're taking somebody who's part of Randy's narrative and just offshooting him into a rivalry he had weeks and weeks ago. Okay, I guess you haven't done anything with Chad Gable since, so at least Gable was part of the card. Gable got the win, Corbin had cut a, a promo just to remind you they do short jokes, and redubbed Chad Gable, Shorty Gable, which, you know, Corey Graves delightfully made some references to, and when Gable actually won, the ring announcer called him Shorty Gable, so it sort of paid off, and so did the post-match interview with Kayla Braxton, because WWE hires a bunch of morons, apparently, and that's how far their broadcast credentials go. But it was funny in a childish way. And it was good to get Gable to win. Gable's promo after was okay. But they, they couldn't leave this alone. Baron Corbin showed up, beat him up backstage. 
and this rivalry may never end. And uh, Chad Gable can't just have a win and not... And even Chad Gable made some reverse short jokes in this backstage interview. So it was like one step backward, one step forward, two steps backwards. I didn't even say it in the right order. And that was that. Continuing our never-ending card of matches nobody knew about until we got into the show. During the pre-show, because I know nobody paid attention to that, the Kabuki Warriors, and I'm just going to call them the Warriors now because I hate saying that, took on Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross, who are, if you forgot, and I forgive you if you forgot, they're the women's tag team champions. And the Warriors don't even have Paige with them, who was their manager, because she had neck surgery. And during this match, they decided to become bad guys, and then they won the titles. Now, I give them some credit for giving Asuka the green mist as part of her finisher into a strike. Although, you know, this is something we've seen strictly from Japanese superstars, and maybe we could treat these two women more than just being Japanese competitors. They're too terrific. Like, Asuka was the women's champion on NXT for over a year, and we've forgotten she existed. Kairi Sane was this great pirate character, and that's just been blended into their generic Japanese persona. It's not great, but at least the tag team titles were featured and there was a title change. I don't know where this leaves Alexa and Nikki. Clearly, there'll be some sort of probably rematch scenario, even though we're not supposed to do that in WWE if you listen to Vince McMahon. You know, I'm hoping that maybe they can reposition Alexa and Nikki because Alexa has the concussion history. Maybe Alexa can be more of Nikki's manager and, you know, put her in a spot for one of these women's titles. And then we bring a real team uh, to take on the Warriors. I don't know what that team is now because the other teams you have, the Iconics are a heel team and I, you know, Mandy and Sonya are a heel team. So now you've essentially taken your actual natural good guy team and turned them heel because you decided to give them the titles and that wasn't enough. Uh, a weird choice, but at least there was a title change. Another match uh, that I didn't expect to happen at all was the OC, and, and, okay, three-man team that can team together. Okay, that's expected. They took on the Viking Raiders, which, okay, rivalry going, yep. And you would think they would team with Cedric Alexander, but no, it was Braun Strowman for some reason. And that reason was to lazily plug that Tyson Fury would be on Raw, which also doesn't make sense because Tyson Fury's a boxer, and I thought the whole idea was to put him on SmackDown, which is on Fox, and they want the show to be more sporty. But what the hell, we'll just throw him on Raw. And I guess because he's on Raw and we need to mention it, Braun Strowman is part of the six-man tag. And in fact, the whole thing became about Braun Strowman because the match ended in a DQ when the OC went three-on-one against Braun Strowman. But eventually the Viking Raiders stopped taking a nap and they helped him out. And Braun ended up one-on-one with AJ and Strowman knocked him out sort of his way of saying, hey, Tyson Fury, I can punch too. And sure, I I really like that Tyson Fury is a part of this. But this is so all over the place and so slapped together. You know, Friday, he's in the audience. Five minutes later, he's jumping the bar- the, the barricade and is apparently ready, ready to fight. Sunday, they're throwing, uh, Cor- you know, Strowman in this match for the hell of it and that he's going to be on Monday Night Raw. They are going to exhaust this entire storyline by Friday. And moving on, uh, and speaking of storylines that aren't being managed well, the 24-7 title, which was last won on YouTube, made a surprise appearance as I was about to fast-forward the Street Profits because I don't care about them plugging WWE stuff. These guys should be wrestling. They're one of the greatest tag teams in the company, and they can't make their mind up. They were cutting their generic lame promo, telling us what we already knew, when they were interrupted by R-Truth and 24-7 champion Carmella. Tamina, who I didn't even realize was still employed by WWE, showed up in a hoodie and one of her own t-shirts and won the title. R-Truth run it back uh, later in the night, 
as Tamina decided, despite the fact she's meant to defend this title 24-7 anywhere, she decided to hide around the commentary team in the worst idea imaginable, and Truth won the title back. I don't know why Carmella didn't win the title back, but Carmella did hit the super kick, so it wasn't a man hitting a woman, so that part wasn't a problem. Um, so yeah, R-Truth, I believe he's won it for 20 uh, he's the 20-time 24-7 champion, which shows you how little they care about that belt. And finally, and easily the most disappointing match I've seen on a pay-per-view pre-show in any memory, Lacey Evans take on, took on Natalia for the third time in a month. Uh, and if you forgot, these two spent the better part of the Royal Rumble trying to pretend that Lacey Evans belonged on the main roster. Natalia won this match because 50-50 booking and these two are just trading wins to stay on television. And for some reason, Natalia, who is the good guy, not Lacey, who's a former Marine and a mother of one and a great role model for women everywhere. No, no, no. Natalia, the forgotten veteran who is quite cranky and a crazy cat lady, according to herself, won this match and decided to sucker punch Lacey Evans as she was trying to get up. And again, she is the good guy. I, I don't know why this needed to exist on the pre-show. And I have no idea what they're doing with either of these women. I think they're just trying to keep them relevant because they don't know what to do with the rest of their division. And that's pretty evident through the rest of this card. So that was Hell in a Cell. Uh, I went a little long here, but a lot to say. Uh, definitely an afterthought when you look at how carefully a Friday Night SmackDown was put together with The Rock coming back with the WWE title match between Brock Lesnar and Kofi Kingston. And that was a, ti- a major title change, which we only really got one of in this pay-per-view. And I guess pay-per-view is not even the right term. Because these are now just specials that happen to be on the network every odd Sunday, uh, once or twice a month. You know, and the, the sad part is the potential was here for this to be a great show. If Wyatt had just done everything he had done, but had walked out being champion, it would have been great. If Sasha Banks had just countered Becky Lynch and won the Raw Women's Championship, it wouldn't have left such a better bitter taste in my mouth. And maybe if you had planned one of the one, two, three four, five, six matches, and I'm counting the 24-7 thing in there, that you threw on the show, maybe I would care more about them. And, and it's not a maybe. I would care more about them. But that's the Hell in the Cell card. Uh, real wasted opportunity and the worst pay-per-views in the last year WWE has done. Uh, that's it for me, at BilalV87 on Twitter, and I will be back tomorrow for Monday Night Raw, which is not part of the WWE draft, which is on Friday, so I'm not sure what they're going to do. Probably be a lot like tonight. Uh, And the only thing that's been promoted is Tyson Fury will be there. I have no idea what they're going to do for the other three hours. That's it for me. Never Sleeps Network. This has been a Never Sleeps Network production, executive produced by Alex Ross. For more information and content, visit NeverSleepsNetwork.com.